Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This story from John's Gospel seems to be ripped from the pages of one of Shakespeare's plays. First, the setting is totally dramatic. Then came the Feast of the Dedication at Jerusalem, and it was winter. St. John here isn't giving you some kind of weather report when he says it is winter. It's redundant because the feast of the dedication is Hanukkah. Hanukkah always falls in late November or December. So just as John means something when he tells you that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and that Judas left to betray Jesus, at night. So St. John is telling us something more than the season and telling us that it is winter. Yeah, sure, it's cold, maybe even blisteringly cold. The word here can mean that. And Jesus is walking there in Solomon's porch or Solomon's colonnade, which is a kind of porch with a roof supported by columns. This porch where Christ is walking back and forth is all that remains of Solomon's own glorious temple after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it over 500 years before these events. It's located on the east side of the temple, so maybe Jesus is there for the sun, or maybe he's there for protection from the wind. Jesus walks back and forth then for warmth, perhaps. It's Hanukkah. This feast instituted not by God, but by Judas Maccabeus around 165 BC in memory of his cleansing the temple of the pollutions of Antiochus Epiphanes. But before we set our play in motion, it's worth feeling all of this, feeling this cold and blistering weather, putting yourself in Jesus' shoes. See Jesus here walking back and forth on this last vestige of the golden years of the people of Israel at the festival, celebrating the last time God had delivered his people. As Jesus walks back and forth, the Jews are oppressed once more and are looking fervently for a deliverer. And we shouldn't think that an event that happens 130 years earlier wouldn't be weighing on their minds at this time. The Jews now are sorely pressed by the Romans. They are in the depths of the winter of their discontent, to borrow a phrase from the great bard. They're looking for the Messiah, or the Christ, waiting and pleading that he may come and deliver them. And here, right here, this guy pacing back and forth, here is this Jesus who claims that he is the Messiah. Yet, 
What has he done? Brought unity to everyone? No, indeed. He divides. In Shakespeare's plays, people often come suddenly on the stage unexpectedly. And so our little play here in John's 10th chapter begins with Jesus walking back and forth by himself, suddenly surrounded, even besieged by his enemies. These are the leaders of the Old Testament church. These who question him are the ones who have power in this world. And they've got something to say to him. How long is it that you're going to keep us in doubt? How long are you going to plague us? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us and tell us plainly. Don't think that Jesus hasn't already told them, not once or twice, but on numerous occasions, and told them plainly. Jesus answers, and he says, I did tell you, thank you for asking, right here in Jerusalem, after healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, remember that? And what happens then? The Jews seek all the more to kill Jesus at these words, because he makes himself to be equal to God. Only two months before our text, again, right there in Jerusalem, he plainly tells the man who has been born blind who he is. In fact, ironically, it's his plain speaking, his plain and simple and very easy to understand words that is dividing the Jews, keeping them up in the air, keeping them in suspense. Two months ago, in John chapter 9, we find that some of the Pharisees said that Jesus, of course, can't be from God because he's broken the Sabbath. But others, on the other side, say, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? So there is, at the cause of Jesus, a division. Then just before our text here in John chapter 10, Jesus' first, I am the good shepherd speech. And in this, St. John tells us there was, again, a division among the Jews. Many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. But others said, these are not words, these plain words, are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Most of Shakespeare's plays have multiple twists and turns. Our play here in John 10 has one big one. To the Jews demand that Jesus tell them plainly if he is the Christ, Jesus replies, I did tell you, and you didn't believe. Again, it's not that Jesus didn't tell them plainly enough. No, it's just that they don't believe these plain words. Try to 
cover their rear ends. But see the twist here. Jesus doesn't blame them. Jesus, in effect, says, what else could be expected of me? Jesus actually says, you don't believe even my plain words because you are not my sheep. You don't blame a fish for not flying or birds for not living underwater, do you? Do you blame a Douglas fir for not producing peaches or cactuses for not producing grapes? Of course not. Jesus says, I'm not surprised you don't believe because only sheep can hear and you aren't mine. But that's not where Jesus leaves he isn't in the temple by himself for nothing. He's there doing what he said his main ministry in this world was. That is to seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's those men there. When Jesus leaves Jerusalem after our text, he's not going to come back until Palm Sunday. And at that time, all he can do is weep over his holy city. Their doom is sealed. This text is Jesus reaching out one last time. Many of Shakespeare's plays end happily when someone recognizes someone for who they are, who they really are. Everything in our text, all the bits and pieces here, are all of the trappings of a happy ending. Because while you can't believe unless you are a sheep, no one's born a sheep. Every single one of us is born a wolf. So how does one become a sheep? Jesus tells us. Sheep are those given to the Son by the Father. Oh, so who has the Father done this for? Jesus tells us plainly, plainly, again, in John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten Son in the place of the world. John himself tells us in his first epistle that Jesus himself is the wrath-removing sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. God gives the whole world into the hands of his Son, and Jesus took it. But if you accept a sinful world, you accept every one of its obligations and sins. All ten of those commandments require of all people, Jesus says, of all of those plain words, I'll do them. And he does them perfectly, not for his sake, but for my sake and for your sake. To every sin against those commandments, Jesus himself, the perfect one, the spotless Lamb of God, he says to all of those commands, 
I am guilty. For your sin. For my sin. So Jesus goes to the cross bearing the weight of that guilt, that shame, and there bears his father's wrath and punishment against a whole world of sinners and every one of their sins. Jesus dies on Good Friday as, in fact, a damned sinner. As a sinner ought to die, forsaken by friends, abandoned by God, ashamed of by the world. But Jesus does not stay there. God the Father raises him three days later on the great Lord's Day, thus declaring that Jesus has succeeded in paying for the sins of the world, all of those sins of all of the world that the Father had given to him to bear. Easter morning, then, the Father's declaration to the whole world that all sins have already been paid for. All sins. Do you sin? Feel guilty? Live daily with shame? Have you wronged your loved ones, or <coughs> lied, or cheated, or stolen, or murdered someone in your heart? Perhaps fashioned an idol for yourself of your money, of your worries. An idol for yourself of your family, of your job. Have you neglected God's holy and precious word or his life-saving sacrament? By raising Jesus, his own and beloved son, from the dead on Easter, the Father declares to you, you are forgiven. Your sins, yes, even that one, that has been forgiven, paid for by my own son's blood shed for you. Your sin, your guilt, your shame is no longer yours. It has been removed. The Father gives the world to his Son, and by the Son's perfect life, by his innocent suffering and death, he has changed our matted and dirty and mangy wolf fur into a bright and shining, brighter than the shining sun, wool of a sheep. Everything else flows from this. 
Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They know it, and they hear it, and they listen. You would expect Jesus, I think, here to say something like, my sheep listen, and they know me. But he doesn't say that. Because the thing to be emphasized here is not that sheep know the shepherd, but that the shepherd knows the sheep. Think about it. If a sheep stands up on its hind legs and declares for all to hear, you're not my shepherd, that doesn't mean that it's no longer a sheep, even though it's hot. But if a shepherd says, you are not my sheep, you do not belong with these, that sheep it doesn't belong. By his cross, Christ Jesus purchased you to be his sheep. And by the resurrection of the Father, proclaimed that purchase to be valid, done, sealed, finished, no more owed. Being a sheep means that you listen to the voice of Jesus, the shepherd, and that he knows. It also means that you follow him and that he gives you eternal life. You don't admonish a sheep to learn to be a sheep. He tells you what sheep do, listen, follow, and what he, the good shepherd, does. He knows you, he gives you eternal life. Now the happy ending comes all the way home. Jesus promises that his sheep never perish. And that no one can snatch them out of his hand. Jesus doesn't even admit that sheep can cause themselves to perish. When he says no one can snatch them out of my hand, he doesn't even leave open the possibility that the elect in the end can snatch themselves out. If that's a possibility, then I'm as good as bound for hell. If my everlasting salvation is in my feeble little sheep hands, I'm as good as dropped off by the wayside. That's why Jesus assures me time and time again that my salvation is in his hands. The happy ending of being sheep is available to all, but like a Shakespearean play, there's a happy ending and then some. After the happy ending, for example, in The Winter's Tale, the king finds out that the wife he thought had died of his own cruelty, in fact, is still alive. Happy ending. The and then some to our happy ending is Jesus' simple statement, I and the Father are one. <coughs> the Father who had rescued Israel from Antiochus and brought back the light of the salvation, the light of salvation to the temple, he still shepherds his sheep. He who sees me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. That's how Jesus will say it to his disciples on Monday Thursday, just next week. I and the Father are one. That's how he says it tonight. 
In Jesus Christ, you are in the hands of the Almighty God. That God who created you with his own hands is the self-same God who has redeemed you by spreading out his hands so that they might be nailed to a cross. The Creator, the Redeemer himself, is here in the person of Jesus to carry you on all your days in his nail-pierced hands. Right through that font, right back there. In these words, in those precious gifts which are blessedly for us Sunday in and Sunday out here at this congregation, in these, in these, the Father's hands, the Son's hands, the Holy Spirit himself opens himself to you. As I said a minute ago, Shakespearean plays often come down to people finding out who someone really is. I thought you were this one, but now I know you are that. Aha! The Jews come to Jesus demanding to know who he is. Tell us plainly. And Jesus answers that. But he also answers what they failed to ask. Who are we? He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Lord Almighty come down, as the Old Testament said that he would. So that he himself, as he says in Ezekiel, he himself might shepherd his sheep. Are they his sheep? In verse 31, they pick up stones to stone their God. God grant us a happier ending than that. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus to life everlasting.